Good morning, men. Am I mic'd up? Can you hear me? Good. Let's see, the speaker is Mike Helvey. James. Well, you thought we were in Ephesians. We're going to talk about James. Um, just mix it up a little bit. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Look, guys, I just want to introduce myself a little bit. I'm Mike Helvey. I am married, and I have two grown kids, uh, Matthew and Robert. Um, they're out of the house now, so I also got a puppy. <laughs> Appropriate alls. And this was the puppy just a couple nights ago. Um, the point is that I know I'm not wise, um, and I should be asking God for wisdom, particularly considering my life choices. And in my life choices, I'm talking about the puppy, not the uh, wife and kids. Um, but I suspect a few of you ought to be praying also for wisdom, maybe. Is that right? Paul's going to pray for a couple things in this section in the book of Ephesians that we're in. Wisdom is one of them. Revelation and the growing knowledge of God is another. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? You hear this occasionally. I heard it described as knowledge being knowing the doctrinal differences between church, between churches, and wisdom is keeping quiet about it. Our church's constitution says that we seek unity in the essentials of faith and exercise freedom over all other matters of doctrine. That's wisdom. Another way to think about wisdom and knowledge is knowledge is a fruit, is knowing that tomato is a fruit and wisdom is not putting it in a tomato salad. But another distinction that Paul is going to make is between knowledge or wisdom and what we call illumination. There's nothing new contained in Scripture. Yet God is continually illuminating Scripture to me like a jewel one that is viewed from different angles, and I see things in a different light when I'm in the Word. Every time I think I recognize something new or the Spirit beats me over the head and shoulders about the issue getting my attention, I think, wow, this is a special revelation from God to me. But I'm wrong. It's not a special revelation, but it's information that was there all the time, but illuminated by the Holy Spirit. When my father became a Christian, and some of you have heard this story, after reading the Bible front to back a couple times, he came to me and told me that he had put his uh, faith in Jesus Christ, put his life in God's hands. And then he told me that he knew it was real. And the reason he knew it was real, he was reading through his Bible again, and it made sense. Things were clear to him, and that is the Holy Spirit at work. This morning, I pray for wisdom as well as increasing knowledge of God and illumination of the Scripture by the Holy Spirit. In our table groups, in about 20 minutes, we're going to be, have a chance to explore with each other how we may pray for other believers and how knowing God influences the way we live, particularly understanding his calling, his promises, and his power. Before we get to that, I'd like to look at Ephesians 1, 15 to 23 up on the screen if you can read it, on the handout if you can't. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of glory may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomprehensible greatness of his power towards us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. The power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet, and he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now, sitting the stage, as if the stage needs more sitting, um, Paul's writing to the churches of Ephesus, generally understood. Maybe churches in Asia, it possibly was a circulatory letter that went from one church to another. Um, there's, de there's debate on that topic, and frankly, it doesn't matter here. Um, Paul's not addressing a specific doctrine or issue, but rather he's talking about the concept of love. And he refers to love quite a bit in this letter, particularly when compared to some of his longer writings. He also teaches about oneness in Christ, and we'll get to that kind of at the end. Um, we'll touch on it. But that oneness in Christ is demonstrated by love for one another. And that love can only come from God. In this letter, Paul talks about truth and application of truth, or doctrinal knowledge and living out that doctrinal knowledge. The first half of the letter is focused on doctrine of our calling, and the last half is on how we ought to live with that knowledge. Just to frame kind of where we are, still at the end of the first chapter. We've already discussed how we are chosen by God and we are already blessed by God with all spiritual blessings. Paul now prays for wisdom and he prays for revelation. He prays that God will open their eyes to know the fullness of the blessing. For this reason, that points back to the preceding section that we heard about the past couple weeks, and it, it's also summed up in the verse, because I've heard of your faith. In other words, Paul's prayer is made because he knows that they are true believers. He is remembering them and mentioning them in prayer to God, the Father of glory. Remember, Paul is in prison at this point. He's separated from them physically, and it's important for him to let them know that he's praying for them. So the first question that we're going to think about in a little bit is, what believers do you pray for, and do they know it? Table leaders, are you praying? No show of hands, but table leaders, are you praying for the men at your table on a regular basis? Paul prays specifically for spiritual wisdom and revelation in the growing knowledge of him. Does that sound familiar? That might be a bumper sticker or something put on your wall. To know Christ and make him known. Having heard of their faith and love, Paul prays not for blessings, but that they might appreciate to the fullest possibility the blessings they've received. He prays for their knowledge of God so that they may know and experience those three things, God's call, God's inheritance, and God's power. So first we'll talk about God's call. Remember Romans 8.30? We studied that last year. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So what did call Paul, what did Paul, what did God call us for? Here he says, the hope of this calling is what Paul is praying for. Paul references the hope of our calling, the expectation that we all enjoy as a result of the fact that God has called us. God called us to belong to Jesus Christ, and he called us into fellowship with Jesus Christ. God called us to be saints with a holy calling. You shall be holy, for I am holy. We are also liberated from judgment, or uh, Israel is liberated from judgment of God's law. And we are called to freedom based on Jesus Christ. We are called to transcend racial differences. We are called to transcend class differences and other divides since we are called into one body to enjoy the peace of Christ. We're also called to be in a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called, forbearing one another in love. Now again, maybe I just need wisdom, but I had to look up the word forbearing once again. Webster's calls it a patient self-control, restraint, and tolerance. That sounds like the fruit of the Spirit to me. Forbearing one another in love. I know I need to be reminded of this from time to time. I'm certainly other people here do also. But that's what we're called to do. In his commentary on Ephesians, John Stott says that God has called us to Christ and holiness, to freedom and peace, to suffering and glory, more simply, to a new life, in which we know, love, obey, and serve Christ, enjoy fellowship with him and, our, and with each other, look beyond our present suffering to the glory which one day will be revealed. I think he kind of hit it on the nail with that. This is the hope that we've been called to. Paul prayed that their eyes may be open to the hope of his calling. Paul also prayed that they may know the wealth, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Grammatically, this could either be God's inheritance or ours. Either an inheritance that he receives or one that he gives. We know from the Old Testament that God's people are his inheritance or his possession. From Psalms, certainly the Lord does not forsake his people. He does not abandon the nation that belongs to him. And the tribe of Levi was chosen in place of the firstborn of Israel as God's inheritance. And was told, you will have no inheritance in their land. I am your portion and your inheritance. In the context of this letter and in a similar passions in Colossians in 1.12, it seems more probable that his inheritance here refer, refers to what he would give us. If God's calling is one bookend of our spiritual life that we can look back on and we can praise God for, God's inheritance is the other bookend of our life. It's a final inheritance that Peter writes about when he writes an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It is reserved for you, it is reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. While God's people are his inheritance, we are called to be fellow heirs with Christ. But what's that look like, being a fellow heir? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know some things. Verse 14 says that God's inheritance was purchased and marked with a seal of the Holy Spirit. 
And right here we also see it referred to as a rich and glorious inheritance. We know that we shall see God and we shall see Christ and we shall worship him. We shall be transformed to a Christ likeness in both body and character. And we shall enjoy perfect fellowship with each other. Paul indicates in his letter here that this is something that they ought to be anticipating, something that they ought to be looking forward to with joy and with gratitude. I'd suggest that thinking about and anticipating both receiving the inheritance from God and being God's people should bring us joy and gratitude. The third thing he looks at, oh, I'm sorry, second question. Do you know God? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Do you think about what he has done, what he's guaranteed for you, and how, should, how you should now live with that anticipation? And the third thing he talks about is the power, the greatness of God's power. With God's call, reflecting back to our beginnings, and God's inheritance, something that we anticipate and we look forward to, God's power is that thing that spans the divide and encompasses those two. We look back with awe and wonder at our calling, forward with joy and gratitude at the wealth of God's glorious inheritance. But Paul prays we live with this understanding through wisdom and revelation in our growing knowledge of God, of the incomparable or immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. So what's that power look like? When I was talking to the uh, fourth graders last week and we were talking about God's power, we asked for examples of power. And the things that came up were the thundering ocean, storms, and one small boy said, a big truck. That's power. Paul says that God's power is displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. The word there, exercise, the Greek word is translated here is only translated in the New Testament in reference to supernatural power. I found that interesting. It seems significant since it's distinctive from any words that are used for things that we do under our own power, such as described in Galatians where Paul's talking about works. So this is a supernatural power that is just attributed to God. And how do we know of God's power? Well, God demonstrated it. Paul writes about the fact which they all know and they had reliable witnesses to, and that is God raised Christ from the dead. He then goes on to say that God seated Christ at, at his right hands in the heavenly places where he also put everything under Christ's feet. And God established him over the head, over, as head over all things for the church. I do thank God for medical miracles. I thank God for the progress that we've made in med medicine and how to manipulate creation to improve our health. I was listening to a Willie Nelson song, Me and Bobby McGee, while I was running yesterday. And it struck me, the lyrics struck me, I'd trade all of my tomorrows for a single yesterday, holding Bobby's body next to mine. Having lost a loved one, aside from having the hope that is within me. How true are those feelings? I certainly could relate to that. And the reason is that nobody has power over death except for God. Having raised Christ from the dead, God put him in his right hand, then he promoted Christ to supreme honor and authority as reflected in Psalm 110 too. 
Here is the Lord's proclamation to my Lord. Sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. God put Christ above absolutely everything. Every role, every authority, power, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That is everyone and everything. God put all things under Christ's feet and made Christ the head over all things. God made Christ the head over the church, the head over the universal church, the head over our body. And the church is his body. Now, the last line we're going to talk about, I kind of struggled with, and it's on the front side of your page there. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, Christ is the head and we are the body. I get that. That's simple. It appears that either the rest of this means the, um, the fullness of him who fills all in all, that Christ is the head of the body and is filled by the church. As a head without a body is no head, it wouldn't make any sense. Christ would not be complete without the church. However, a better reading may be that Christ is the head of the body as the head of the body fills for himself the church with all blessings. The second view is more consistent since nowhere in the, uh, in the scripture that I found are there any teachings that says that Christ gets fulfillment from the church. It also parale uh, parallels Ephesians 4, 10 to 11 that speaks of Christ filling all things and giving all things to the church. So to summarize, Paul's prayers as his readers have a full knowledge of God's call, inheritance, and power. But how is prayer fulfilled? One more thing to think about. Will the Spirit illuminate God's word if we're not in God's word? I'm certain that that's not Paul what's praying for. We are called to know God and make him known. Part of that is our work. We have work to do using the faculties that God gave us. Getting to know God through his work, through prayer, through being in fellowship, and through worship. It's through conversations like we have at our tables here that we can get to know God. However, it's also God's work. Paul prays for supernatural illumination that can only come through the work of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have people in our lives that speak truth to us. And as I started with, there's our God-given ability to apply reason and seek knowledge, and then there's divine illumination. Our thinking is pointless without the spirit of truth, yet seeking illumination of Scripture from the Holy Spirit does not relieve us from using our own minds and getting our own hands dirty and flipping pages. With that, I'd like you to start talking among yourselves. We do have some discussion questions. Do you pray for other believers on a regular basis? If so, please share what that might look like to encourage your table mates. How should knowing God and what he has done for you, that calling, that inheritance, influence how you live? And how can we encourage each other to live as men of God who are called in God's power right now in anticipation of Christ's return? Again, I ask God to bless you through increasing your knowledge of him and providing wisdom as you share your knowledge of Christ with others. May you come to see your calling, understand your inheritance as an heir with Christ, and know and understand God's magnificent power. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.